Welcome to another episode of Wait What? Sports Biz Chat with DP and McGee. This is the podcast that takes a unique look at the sports industry, sometimes irreverent, sometimes cynical, and sometimes serious. We know we'll entertain ourselves along the way and hope <laughs> that at least on occasion we'll entertain you. I'm your co-host, David Paro. And I'm Tim McGee. Oh, Tim, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, so today we're going to spend some time on the topic, including the issue of mental health in the sports biz. We're looking forward to being joined a little later by our special guest for what should be an enlightening discussion, but let's get the show going. What's on your mind? So before we talk about the sports business, I want to uh, introduce a, a new segment that will by no means be regular, but um, this day in history. So 52 years ago today, Bobby Orr scored what is probably the most famous goal in NHL history, uh, culminating with him flying completely right. horizontal across the goal crease, giving the Boston Bruins their first uh, Stanley Cup championship in 29 years. Um, and also uh, on this date, uh, May 10th, according to uh, Levon Helm, Robbie Robertson, and the rest of the band, by May the 10th, Richmond is, had fell. That's a time I remember oh so well. Wow. The night they drove old Dixie Brown. Um, yeah, let's talk about your uh, second favorite sport behind pickleball, um, F1. You, yeah. Uh, you have yeah. A, a bromance with F1. I, I, I do, and I think they um, I think that's expanded a little more uh, over this weekend. Did you get a chance to take any of it in? I did. I watched a little bit of the race. Um, I thought it was, uh, you know, uh, you know, great spot, great setting. Uh, we've talked about this before. You know, you go back five years ago, and if the closest race uh, to anybody in the United States was Montreal, now we've got Austin, Miami, and and soon to have uh, Las Vegas as well. And my understanding is the folks at Liberty uh, Media are buying a big chunk of land, um, not on the Strip, I think east of the Strip in Las Vegas. So. These guys are uh, making the best use of their uh, of their increased fortunes. Yeah, I think the I think Liberty Media and the sport of F one um, came out of this weekend with uh, with all the things they wanted to accomplish accomplished. Uh, the things that have been complained about are minor, in my opinion. They involve food and bev in the paddock club. Paddock Club, by the way, just again, an awesome spot. We've discussed this before. Uh, and some people complained about the track, but those are easily fixable things. The race itself didn't look to me much any different than a normal F1 race, which if you are uh, if you tend to follow, say, NASCAR, you may find that this racing a little bit boring because the passing is fairly infrequent and the top teams st st seem to always come out on top or at least very often come out on top. And that's the case here with Max Verstappen of Red Bull Racing winning uh, in the inaugural uh, Crypto.com Miami Grand Prix. But the visuals that they created and that viewers saw and the fans seemed to experience on site were absolutely everything, if not more, than what, what could have been hoped for. Uh, Tom Garfinkel and the folks with the Dolphins and Hard Rock Stadium, shout out to Sam Coghill, the VP of Stadium Ops there, they put on a great show. The uh, the podium scene was one of the best I've ever seen. Uh, I thought the help coming out in the helmets after was a little goofy, the football helmets. <laughs> but the uh, the overall scene was just great. 
85 plus thousand there. I think uh, nearly 250,000 over the course of the three days. Uh, they look to expand that in the future. Television ratings, I think, were what was expected. NASCAR actually beat them, but F1 did better in the in the younger demo, and that ultimately is extremely important as well. Uh, did, uh, did Steve Ross offer bonuses to any of the? Uh, <laughs> oh, never mind. Let's not go there. Yeah, Lewis Hamilton didn't didn't seem to have. He wasn't on the podium. Maybe, maybe he did. Yeah. Um, and the star in, in it did what Miami's you expect from Miami. So, you know, Michael Jordan was there and Tom Brady was there and uh, Michelle Obama was there and David Beckham was there. Uh, yeah. And, and many, many more. And, and, you know, as you know, as as bright as those luminaries shine, it's a location where future races are going to draw equally well from Europe and Latin America as well as North America which I think bodes really well for the future of the race because it is such a global sport and it's, it's relatively easy to get to from most part most parts of Europe and certainly from Latin America. Right. So, so why this ends up being even more important than just, Hey, Miami put on a great race and the dolphins put on a great race is that they are in the midst of negotiating their next television package. Uh, ESPN is the, is the current rights holder. And uh, I believe it's about just $5 million a year that they're getting yeah. for the U.S. rights. They are seeking a huge increase in that to basically $75 million per, per year, 15 times higher. So, um, And I think I, they'll get it. I think they'll get it. And this, this helps, right? Because there's so much more momentum. They've announced two more seasons of Drive to Survive on Netflix. Um, and that continues to be credited largely with driving this younger audience. So yeah, I do think they're going to get it because they're able to just create a spectacle around this and 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 bring people into the drama and the beauty. It's a reality show. It's no, there's no other sport that offers what looks to be high-end reality television than F1. We've talked about sports being the ultimate reality show, of course, but this the way they produce this, it really has that feeling and it's just absolutely gorgeous the 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 drone shots which I'm assuming what they were using and the way they set up around Hard Rock to really capture the vibe of South, of South Florida, uh, I thought was impressive. Yeah, and we're in the midst of earnings season, and and uh, you know, talk about hitting on all cylinders, right? F one um, announced that, or Liberty Media announced that F one had made three hundred sixty million dollars in revenue in the first quarter of this year, up a hundred percent from last year. Obviously, last year was a little bit of a you know, different animal because we were still in the midst of the pandemic, but, you know, and, and, and they were cash flow positive, right? They actually showed a profit on that $360 million um, revenue. But wait, it was wait a, what? Like somebody actually made a profit in this, in this business with big investment. Yeah. Well, funny, yeah. you should, <laughs> funny, you should say that because by comparison, DraftKings also announced earnings. Um, and they had revenues of 417 million. So well, more. That's were, really impressive. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. You one would think so. Um, however, uh, they also reported a loss of 468 million dollars. Um, so the, I guess yeah. the question that now I'll give you a, a you know I typically give you trivia questions that <laughs> no sane man can answer. But I'll give you one that is basically a layup. Um, how does a company I, like I Draft? When you, I hate it when you say that. That that's the kiss of death. How does a company like DraftKings 
make money when you have $417 million in revenue, but a $468 million loss. How do you make money? Well, one word. Volume. That's right. <laughs> volume for well, all there, of you. Well, there is. It's, finance it, it's going to be interesting there. because the, the, the arms race that is the sports betting space now. Well, with is, the amount of money they're spending, it's the well, arm and a leg race. Well, yeah, is. correct. <laughs> and and with with properties taking multiple players in, in this category, like multiple, multiple players in this yeah. category, um, they're going to probably have to continue spending for a while. I, I My original thought was that a few of these companies would, it, it would shake out with a couple of the couple companies surviving and some of them going by the wayside doesn't seem to be that way right now because there is enough volume i think coming through and we're not even at capacity i mean obviously when things settle up in california which i think is going to happen in november um i mean you know now we're talking a whole new level so you know part of the question normal is you you create more volume you create more sales generate more revenue or you cut costs um the, the thought would be after a certain point, you would be able to reel back some of that really hefty advertising spend that they all seem to be um, addicted to. Uh, yeah, and I don't know if that's going to be the case for a while. I, I don't. I, I think for the foreseeable future, that cost of acquisition is going to is going to remain uh, remarkably high, which is why, you know, why you see that that loss. And that doesn't mean that DraftKings isn't a viable business. It doesn't mean that ultimately they won't be profitable. But to your point, it has to, they, they, you know, the industry has to get to such a place where, you know, there's enough, there's enough players for everybody to make money, right? That's, that will be the, the right. equilibrium right. point. And, you know, at, at some point, somebody's going to buy somebody else or multiple somebody else's. Um, and, uh, but I don't know when that happened, right? It, yeah. it probably doesn't happen until after, you know, the I virtually agree. every state has uh, legalized gambling. Right. Or at least the ones that are going to do it or debating. I think there are going to be a couple of holdouts that just say, no, they're not going to do it. I'd say Utah is going to be one of those, um, at least for. For yeah, yeah, good point. Maybe, maybe for the long haul. Hey, before I forget, and I want to, I actually want to talk about NIL and some of the things that were, that came down. Um, yesterday on uh on some guidelines and so forth but i but i I don't want to forget saying this because it just happened and and fox has announced that tom brady is going to be it sounds like their lead analyst um once he decides to retire now this suggests to me that they haven't had any chance to actually screen test him or give him any advice (laughs) i'm standing by what i said many weeks ago that i don't think he's going to be good and I, I obviously could be proven wrong. They're gonna, it's going to be like a first round pick, though. No matter how bad he is, they like paid him a lot of money. They got to, they got to give him and a ten year contract. So yeah, I yeah. just had to say it. I'm standing by it. So at this rate, he'll retire at sixty from the NFL and then retire from Fox at seventy. One <laughs> um, of you know, you did say you didn't think it would be good, but we had a very. Uh, insightful question from a DePaul student back then um, who said, you know, do you think that his, you know, encyclopedic knowledge of football and what players and offenses and defenses are doing could overcome his lack of charisma, which is, 
which is, I think, is a great question and remains, yeah. remains to be seen. It, it totally remains to be seen. Listen, he would be great if they could just have him like sitting in the booth because he looks great and <laughs> everything about him is great until till I hear him talk. <laughs> is that the Boston? Is that my Boston friend fans I hear talking again? Um, I, I have I, listen. He he may be good. I'm just predicting he's not. Don't talk be, about Tommy like he's that. Not, he's, he's not. He's one of ours. <laughs> Tom Brady is a god. What's the what's the what's the Jimmy Fallon character on SNL? Sully. Sully. Tell me you got that, Sully. All right. Um, so um, we almost went. <laughs> we almost went a second week because we've been amusing ourselves to no end. We did not. You know, we, we fancy ourselves uh, professionals in the sports business, and we didn't talk about the Kentucky Derby last week. And we almost didn't talk about it today. Emba embarrassing. And we even talked about see, it, that see, we were going to talk about it. <laughs> right. See, that's <laughs> see that's the difference between you and I. You make so few faux pas that this was actually yeah, embarrassing. Like right. in the list of things that I am embarrassed about, not right. mentioning the Kentucky Derby, yeah. doesn't make the top 20. That's the power of the fact that I do the editing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But I, I got a, uh, I, I got a, a friend of mine sent me a, a, a screenshot of her of her betting ticket. She sent it to me on Sunday morning, uh, the exacta, and she had three twenty one. And it was twenty one three. She didn't box it. Mm. I was, uh, I was going to be even nicer to my friend had she boxed the exacta. What an unbelievable race! Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I still can't believe it. Honestly, when I watch the replay, that one from above that that we're, we all marvel at so much, I don't think I've ever seen a horse just all of a sudden like like get after it like that. Yeah, I mean, you people. know, it was like a video game shot. That's what I. Yeah, it was like it reminded me of uh, playing Messi in in uh, EA World uh, EA FIFA. Right. right, he could just run through everybody. Like right. that was right. that was what. Uh, Strike Richard. I want to give a shout out to uh, somebody that that you know and I know well, um, Ben Sterner of the Leverage Agency, um, the epitome of a grinder, right? Just goes out and gets after it. And he's made a bit of a niche in the horse racing game, selling sponsors on getting on um, jockey silks. And he he actually uh, he went to Progressive Insurance and sold them a sponsorship on Strike Rich. And I don't know the financials of that deal, but I've got to imagine that Ben probably priced it, you know, at as a horse that was a great long shot. And uh, I guarantee you that he's probably too busy this week, um, you know, to listen to this podcast, right? Because he's busy selling, you know, into the Preakness and the Belmont Stakes. But right, right. Progressive should continue to listen to him. Um, yeah, no, that was that was impressive. You know, the you and I can both recall when you know when the issue of even advertising on the silks came about, and uh, and to see it, and for such a special race, which when when something like this happens, low odds win. Everybody's watching it. It's not just something that the you know, yeah. The I, I think the uh, the ratings for the Preakness are going to be through the roof, and uh, you know the Kentucky Derby did well. It did a seven point seven. Right, fifteen point eight, almost fifteen point eight million viewers. Um, it did, you know, it did good numbers. I think the Preakness is going to do really good numbers. Little known fact: the, the the official drink of the Kentucky Derby is the mint julep. Right? Do you know the Preakness? The Preakness the, is the, the Black Eyed Susan. Okay. 
which is a, a, a flowering a flower that's indigenous to Baltimore. Right. Very, um, but the and little the, known fact is yes. uh, the the official drink of of Belmont, which is on it, Long Island, is is a shot perhaps, of beer. Well, perhaps <laughs> a ribbon in a can. Yeah, <laughs> having grown uh, up there. Yes. Uh, no, it was. Uh, it, you know, listen, I I have not. I don't follow the sport incredibly closely. I was at a wedding this weekend, so there were a few things I didn't get to see, although it was kind of cool because as I was sitting in an aisle and I looked at the guy next to me, he had the Celtics-Bucks game on, and I'm like, <laughs> okay, but like, what's the score now? Because I'd been following it before I got there, and the you know several women to the, le you know, to the left of him were just looking at us, shaking their heads. It was fantastic. Uh, I finally had one of those moments. Yeah, um, uh, that is, uh... Uh, but but with with this win and you know the attention, uh, yeah, it is going to be great come uh, come Preakness time, uh, and you know these are the type of things that get people fired back up. You know we we're com we're coming off these scandals in the sport um, with Baffert, yeah, and doping. Uh, so these are the feel good stories that we hope will continue. I heard you know I watched some interviews with a trainer and the owner, and they were just absolutely as wonderful salt of the earth type of people or they came across that way so um uh, and, you know and, and then this is the kind know, of thing that starts attracting sponsors back in so um yeah. it will be interesting and speaking from personal experience the stud fees that strike rich is going to get yeah. it's just going to be <laughs> phenomenal these guys have we're going to make a ton of money when they when they retire from racing are you like a consultant to that industry <laughs> yeah yeah uh, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm reminded of the Eric uh, Eric Roberts character in the Pope of Greenwich Village, but uh, I don't want to make you do too much editing. No, so I'm not going to say it. But you know, I'm beginning to think this guy Bob Baffert isn't the most ethical guy. No, I'm. Yeah, it's just I guess it's a hint. There's a few things I've heard that just make me wonder. Yeah, it's, you know, he doesn't pass the sniff test. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I am going to talk about NIL in a second, but I have another thing that I don't want to forget talking about it because it right. merges two things that we talked about just last week. So cricket, it's it's like it's like all around us now. Yeah, thank Chris, you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Chris, Chris Paul has bought into a team. I won't mention where Chris Paul went to school, and I won't mention whether or not he's going to end up losing another two up to series here. I hope not. Wait, um, where did he go to school? He went to Wake Forest. That's right. Um, and uh, he, but he's bought into uh, one of the uh, one of the IPL teams, and uh, along with several other sports luminaries, including Larry Fitzgerald. So it's uh, very cool. And so I think you're on to something there, McGee. Yeah, and the IPL just announced a women's league. Yeah. So they are, you know, for for a culture in a country that is not always the most progressive when it comes to women well, um they announced the women's uh, ash ash barty who seems to be able to play anything she decides to <laughs> actually a, a, apparently is a really good cricket player as well <laughs> she's is amazing that, is that why she retired from uh, uh i think so tennis? she just wanted to dabble in a few other things she's a, a modern day babe uh didrickson zaharis yeah, absolutely and so for those, uh, for those yeah. of you i'm i am not old enough to remember her just the name right one of the few athletes of the 20th century i'm not old enough to remember yeah she was uh, she was quite amazing for sure um so the ncaa and conference and university leaders got together and set some guidelines for nil so uh, or trying to and these are the big question is whether these are going to be enforceable or not but the big key is is that they basically 
formalize things that were already on the books to some degree. And it was targeted at these collectives that the schools have created basically to set up a situation that not only appears to be, but is pay to play. And that's not what the spirit of NIL was supposed to be about. Yeah. Um, and so they, they, they're, they're putting the, the hammer down on contact with student athletes prior to signing their letters of intent. We will see if they're able to do it. They have the ability to go back and punish those that have already done it, but I don't think they're going to spend any time on that. And that's I, not going to work, but I, 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 you know, and listen, I, I, I don't think um, I don't think the NCAA should go back because they weren't clear in the beginning. And as loath as I am to side with boosters who are basically make up these collectives. Right. Yeah. Um, I think I think now, you know, that now you set the rule and you say this will not, you know, this will this will not be uh, tolerated, will not be acceptable. Um, and, I, you know, listen, I, I think they're, they should almost consider a rule. You can either be a member of the Booster Association or you can pay athletes for an NIL deal, but you can't do both. Now, you, you might say, well, what about the local car dealer? Well, you know what? Sometimes you got to make tough choices in business. Yeah, uh, totally agree. Uh, there was no leadership on this. The, it wasn't so much that they were caught off guard. I just don't think anyone really knew what to do. And it got and and listen, money is what tends to drive i don't want to say progress because i think there's been a lot of negative progress here but but money was formed people figured out things to do people wanted to be competitive some of this was now was out more out in the open but certainly was moving in a place that wasn't in the spirit of college athletics which again has to be redefined maybe when the new um, president or executive director or whatever they call the replacement of mark emmert figurehead um, becomes yeah right yeah <laughs> figurehead I don't mean to be a, a crazy blind optimist on this, uh, and I think I may be um, a little delusional, but this gives me some degree of hope that when working together with all of the potential interests, as long as it's not taking away from the spirit of, of, of what this was supposed to mean for the student athlete, because I think that would be BS if that's the case. Um, uh, and I don't think at least what we've seen, which is just a tiny little step in, in this, uh, in this area, I, I feel pretty good about this movement and we'll have to see, um, what happens. So, yeah, yeah, it'll be, it'll be very, uh, listen, I, I think the, the rules are there because somebody's going to violate them, right? You can't, you can't rely on people, um, to show good character, good judgment, all the time. And right. so these rules, I, I agree with you. I think they will at least set the running rules, right? There was, you know, everybody knew there were going to be unintended consequences of NIL. So listen, there's so much other things that I actually wanted to talk about. It's almost kind of stressing me out, but I think that means that it's time for a break and we have a guest coming up that I'm hoping will help with that a little bit. So hang with us. It's time for our guest. Welcome back. We are uh, really pleased to bring in our next guest. As many of you know, May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, I think it's incredibly important. Um, we have gone through unprecedented times over the last couple of years, but I was seeing a statistic that um, over the last dozen years or so, um, mental health issues, especially among the young, um, have exploded. So it's really a pleasure to have our next guest. It's somebody I've known for several years. I consider a good friend. 
Siraj Bhattay is the uh, co-founder and COO of a company called Manifest. Um, that's all about wellness, mental health, and mindfulness. So, Siraj, welcome. Namaste, guys. Namaste. Thanks for having us, David and Tim. Uh, it's great to be on, man. Thank you. Yep. So let's get started. I have some questions for you. Sure. Um, you've you've gone all in on the the mental mental health space as it relates to to uh, wellness and mindfulness and so forth. What are the benefits to somebody who practices um, mindfulness and other other things that um, that help their mental health? with their physical health, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Mm -hmm. It does. I mean, it's layered, right? I mean, that's the thing about mental health. Everyone thinks like, okay, well, if I'm not mentally insane, I'm mentally healthy. And I would, I would encourage people to think about it more of wellness. Like there's so many components that deal into mental health. Like it's also a factor of, um, you know, nutrition, sleep, hydration, emotions, right? So when you talk about the, like layers, look at mindfulness. Mindfulness primarily is staying in the moment and being able to concentrate on the moment, right? You have something externally that you're really thinking through. As easy as being mindful can be like, oh, wow, like I'm about to have a glass of water, right? Like that you're, you're in the moment. But let's face facts. Is that realistic? Because we're always in the sports entertainment business or, you know, accounting business, whatever industry you're in, you're super busy. You got to get a lot done. So with regard to like a corporate kind of demo, I would say mindfulness is really staying in mindfully, mentally and emotionally into what you're doing at that current moment. Mindful. So the whole idea of multitasking is a myth, right? And research has shown that, right? It's and at least if, saying, be in the moment, don't multitask, be in the moment, right? Like if you, if you, if you are thinking of the five things in front of you, you're not concentrating on the one right in front of you. Right. So knock down that one assignment. And then to your point, Tim, if there's a to-do list, then you go tackle the second one, but don't finish it until you can say, okay, I can either pause or come to an end because I've been in this moment and I've gotten what I needed to get done from this moment. Yeah, great advice in, in for helping one's whether it's personal life, professional life, love life, um, family life, whatever whatever aspect of your life you're talking about. Yeah, I, it would seem to me that mindful being mindful, uh, you know, is never the wrong thing to do. Never, never, and that's that's something that we all deal with, right? How to stay in the moment, even work wise, when you have an important task, when you know you got fifteen other ones right right after that. We covered a lot in that in that first uh, area. I, I want to somewhat bring it back to the to the sports area, and mm -hmm. um, uh, it has been such an amazing time with so many high profile athletes coming out and speaking about these issues. Simone Biles, Michael Phelps, Kevin Love, Naomi yep. Osaka, um, and we've kind of seen their challenges right in front of us. And sometimes it's not easy to watch. Um, but what have been the benefits of people of that stature? coming out and speaking openly about that in terms of spreading this word of the importance of taking care of, of your mindfulness. It, it's everything. I mean, let's face facts, right? Entertainment and athletes are a huge way that we, you know, accumulate information, right? When someone has a post about 
Simone Biles, you know, withdrawing from the Olympics. It's global news now, right? We're reaching people on a global level to talk about, in, in my eyes, what is the next crisis coming, coming down the pipe, the next pandemic, right? God forbid I use that word, the mental health crisis, right? And so when, when people like Naomi Osaka say they have to withdraw from the U.S. Open or Simone Biles or the, a lot of the challenges that Michael Phelps has faced or Kevin Love and what he's come out and discussed, we're bringing national attention, global attention to, to a topic that really needs to be addressed, right? And the there's so many like unbelievable things of the courage it took from them, et cetera. But one of the things that I think people also have to keep in mind Simone Biles at that Olympic Games could have gotten the best resources at her hotel room within 15 minutes to make sure she could compete. The average person doesn't have that same right. access. So if they are saying openly, right, people who have proven themselves time and time again under the most intense pressure on the competition field in sports are saying, hey, this is not easy. I need to take care of my mental health right now right? What then effect does that mean who people who aren't not only given the same resources, but not trained the same way, right? The way Venus or Serena or Naomi Osaka approach a match is so different than how the majority of people approach life, right? Like they're going out there and they know for these two, three hours, I am literally going to do everything I need to do to win this match. They're not, they're not used to losing. They're not trained to lose. So if people who are that highly ultra competitive are struggling with their mental health, what does that mean for the rest of us who, like I said, not only don't have those resources, but might not kind of view the world or the way to compete the same way? Some people may think about their personal best ambition, their, their, whatever. But guys like Michael Phelps and athletes like Simone Biles and Naomi Saka have given us the ability to start thinking through, hey, what does mental health mean for me? I get yeah, that. Yeah, Sorry. I know. I, 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 I find all of this very interesting. And I, and I do think that there's way more positive in that discussion. I think one of the things that gets a little tough is there's always that element pushing back and saying, what do they have to complain about? Especially when you. it's the high profile athletes. I like the fact that you turned it into the message for those that may be seeking something and understanding that, wow, they're having problems and they seem to have all this or they they have challenges too and they're able to talk about it. Wow, I can accept the fact that I have challenges that I may be able to deal with. And I do think that there's an element sometimes that just looks at people that come out so vocally. And Simone Biles, I think, was a perfect example of saying, "What well, you know, just go out and just go out and win for your team. What are you doing? You're, 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 not, you're not helping anybody. You're doing... I, I'm hoping that the majority or the, the bigger legacy is the more important one. The I'm able to talk about this. We all need to be able to talk about this. Yeah, I, I think those, yeah, I, I think those people who went out and said, what do you have to complain about? They're ignorant for lack of, a, you know, there, I don't think there's any other way, you know, maybe the other only other term is mean spirited. Um, you know, you would never say to a lawyer or an accountant or, or you know, your car mechanic, what do you got to complain about? You're a great car mechanic. Why, you know, mm. right. You know, um, I, you I know. think that's fair. I think, I think the one thing that, that a lot of people who may have really came out, come after them, right. Cause it was kind of like 50, 50, right. 50 people like supported them. 50 people were like, ah, what do they have to complain about? 
I think it, a lot of that also, and I'm not saying every one of those 50, but 20 to 30% can probably be changed by getting over the stigma. Meaning mm-hmm. this, if we had said Simone Biles had a shoulder injury and she couldn't do her balance, right. no one would have said a word. If Naomi Osaka said she pulled a hamstring on court 15, warming up for the match, no one would have said a word. No one would have said a word. Oh my God, that's tough luck. Bad luck. Maybe next year she was playing so well. She would have won another gold. That didn't happen because it was mental health. Right now. And this is a dangerous topic. So bear with me here. There can be times where some people maybe use that card and, and it appears as though they're abusing it. Meaning, Ben Simmons. But I'm someone when I saw that and it was like, hey, look, a year ago, you shrunk in that game and, and didn't kind of produce. Okay. You needed out of Philly, new start. It was a good look for both people. You got your new start. Now all of a sudden it was like never during that time period during the contract was mental health an issue. It was just, I can't play here. I can't play here. And so it was kind of like, when is the timing of all this? And so that story didn't seem to make as much sense to me. Right. Yeah, there's part of that story that makes you wonder if it was that and then his own issues with with whether he can talk about I had no idea, by the way. So this is not I'm not even necessarily speculating. Yeah. But but, you know, certainly both in Philly and in in Brooklyn, you would suggest that fans would have a reason to question like why the you know, what what the heck's going on? You'd almost just rather him be open and honest like some of these other athletes if indeed there were some some issues he was having totally agree so i guess that's my point is there i see the contradictory side of saying hey what do you have to complain about you know 33 million to to not suit up so there's there's both sides of the coin but i think more often than not i i tend to see the side of the athlete saying if this was a shoulder or a physical ailment we wouldn't have said anything and that's conversation of overcoming that stereotype and that stigma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But overall, a huge positive when athletes put the attention on this. So, so let's go back to the concept of mindfulness for a moment, yes. if you don't mind, because I, I am as guilty as anyone of, of not necessarily being in the moment. And it's something that I try to work on. Um, and quite, quite frankly, oftentimes not successfully. So what are some simple ways that people can practice mindfulness? Well, I think the first thing is like in the morning, you could start your day by literally as easy as taking five deep breaths, right? Just inhaling, holding for a couple of seconds, exhaling five deep breaths, write something that you're, you know, or set your intention of the day. Today, I'm going to make, I don't know, 15 business outreaches or or whatever, or I'm going to be happy, or I'm going to read a book. I don't know, whatever your intention is for that day. And then at night, do five deep breaths and say something that I'm grateful for. So now what you're getting yourself to do is like taking a breath, right? Taking a moment and concentrating on something that you know, like there there are studies that show people who function with gratitude, right? Are literally like their cells vibrate. Like, I mean, you know, this like scientifically it's proven, right? Like their cells look different than someone who has a cell that's full of hate, right? Because you got trillions of cells in your body, right? And just breathing starts to make you feel better, right? Because you're getting more oxygen to the cells. So mindfulness could be done as easy, easily as just taking anything from one minute to five minutes for yourself and just trying to get a little bit more still in your thoughts, right? Because the answers come to you when you're, when you're still, not when your mind's racing, right? 
So I think that's like an easy, an easy, easy way to start practicing uh, mindfulness. And then second, start figuring out like what just means more to you as a person. Like when we were kids, we always played with like this unbelievable sense of wonder. But when we become adults, that wonder is gone. Right. Because it's responsibility after responsibility after this, after this, bills, family, loved ones, etc. And there has to be some time where you return a little bit. You might not have the same time, but you got to return a little bit to those emotional triggers that you gain so much favor in, whether it was ice skating or I don't know, reading the next book that came out or whatever it was. So you don't have to spend hours upon hours a day doing it. But you should schedule at least two, three times a week where I'm going to take a walk in nature. I'm going to go fishing. Like whatever those hobbies are, you have to find your space and take time for yourself. So I think like those like kind of two, three ways start in a very easy breathing pattern, writing a gratitude message. Very easy, right? Taking scheduled time for yourself, 10, 15 minutes a day right? Do something for yourself, like mentally or emotionally, whatever it is. And then I think the the last thing, like I would say, like for me, meditation has been so key to my life. Like, I mean, Tim knows this. I'm not ashamed to say this. Like I got through my alcohol dependency through the power of meditation, right? And that was a big impetus of me wanting to be able to start helping people more, right? Um, So I think like those are probably three things that I would suggest that you could start right away. And, uh, Tune it into your physical health, right? What are you putting in, putting into your body? Because that helps you mentally and emotionally, right? right? If you feel better physically, you feel better mentally and emotionally. Well, well what I think is really interesting about this is because we talk about physical habits, exercise, stretching, uh, you know, in these type of things as as habits. Get into those habits and doing it, and 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 then you just kind of said the same thing for simple mindfulness um, and and shaping that on the mental side. So I think that's very nice and should be easy to follow. Uh, we generally do try to be in the moment when we're doing this show. Sometimes we get a little lost. So Siraj, bring us back if we, uh, if we get a little sidetrack as we continue to go uh, through this. Yeah. Hopefully that, that, that changes some of the dynamics. Mindfulness is, you know, Tim, some people think there's like this esoteric thing, man, that you need to be like praying on top of an ashram in the middle of like Calcutta, India, like, that's not, you don't have to be the Dalai Lama to practice mindfulness or practice mental like health exercises. Like it's just about being with yourself and being attuned to like what's going on. Sorry, Dave, go ahead. You, I was going to make a Caddyshack joke. Never mind. Okay. We're we're moving on. We're back. (laughs) I I saw that one coming a million miles away. So, so I think, I think that's, I think that's really important because similar to what, we're talking about through professional athletes, you know, trying to, you know, destigmatize this, right. It's also people like we did this with MSG guys. Like we literally took them through like wall yoga, where it was like, you know, you just grab a mat, you go right into a conference room. And instead of that, you know, 2 PM baked by Melissa cupcakes and Dunkin' Donuts coffee, you go and just do some wall stretches for 10 minutes and come back and you rejuvenate it and you're refreshed and, you know, that's like the other thing, guys, like we're really going to start facing through this mental health crisis is like, how do we overcome the great resignation? I mean, you got 15 million people from October to December, who resi- um, October through January, who resigned. Half of them didn't even have jobs lined up. 
So wellness habits are going to have to start being incorporated at the office so people can kind of get by their day, not only get by, but operate and function at their best. I think that's like one area we're really going to see some, I mean, you guys are successful independent, you know, consultants and have your own company, but you know, big brands, big companies are going to have to start thinking through, Hey, how do I give my employees the necessary resources to make sure they perform their best? Because I need them to, because my bottom line has implications of by their performance. Well, let's, let's talk a little about this transition. We wanted to have you on for mental health awareness month, mm. largely because of what your focus has been and, and the, the, the expertise that you've developed, but you had started a somewhat traditional um, sports career uh, and been was very successful at that uh, with sales business development positions at, at several properties. What was uh, take us through the love that it. transition? I love it all. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> uh, could, uh, so, so you were saying yeah, yeah, transition? yeah, transitioning to co you know co founding Manifest mm -hmm. and what that has meant while still keeping yeah. ties to the yeah. to the sports business. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. It's the manifest company, by the way. Right, right. Also. Um, look, I love sports, man. I love the entire industry, the career, the, the friendship still to this day, probably some of the best friends I've ever made in my life, you know, and, and, and I had a good run. I mean, you know, like after law school getting in, you know, I was at the Sacramento Kings and even though it was a small market, like I could do a lot of deals and I got a leadership and mentorship, you know, early out of law school. And uh, I was fortunate enough there. I mean, I put up like 30 deals in three years. Right. And so it was like constantly like cutting my teeth, you know, and then going from there to the garden and having a great run there with, you know, I mean, you know, all the guys there, you know, Scott and Greg and Ron and Clarky and just everyone who was a part of that mix was unbelievable. And, just learning from the best. So the sports industry and then AEG, et cetera. So like the sports industry was always very good to me. For me, what I found to be the toughest, toughest thing is like, I mean, you guys can attest to this. If you go from a corporate sales manager to like a VP in our industry in 10 years, like you got that treadmill on pace 10, level 10. I mean, you're, you know, I mean, that could be a span of a career, right? To get to that VP level at those kind of, at those kind of properties. But I was just really ambitious and just really grinding. And, and then it kind of got to a point in like my 40s where it was like the body started to break down. You know, I was emotionally and mentally like worn out. I just got burnt out, you know. And I think like that's like the biggest thing of like thinking through like how to instill like mental health habits, for lack of better words, right? That really can keep people who are younger than me and they're thinking through how successful they want to be in the sports and entertainment business that they can be by implementing these quote unquote tricks of the trade earlier. Right. Like, you know, like I said, like five minutes of breathing or before jumping on a conference call with a client, if you're not your best, just shutting your eyes and just, writing a journal or I am ready for this call or whatever. I mean, everyone has their own little intricacies of how they kind of be, you know, present their best form of self. So I think for me, like it became like a little bit more of a natural progression. Once I kind of understood like 
it's not that I'm leaving the sports industry. It's that I'm adding a layer of health and wellness to my life that because I have a lot of relationships, I potentially might be able to help others. And so that's kind of why we started the manifest company, right? You know, my partner got through two bouts of depression through yoga. I got through alcohol dependency through meditation. Like we knew there was something there and it was like, how do we make this like young and hip and like, you know, self-care cool and you know, all the things that went into that. And I don't want to use this conversation for that, but I'm saying like that became a direction for me, but I never left my pure passion for like the love of entertainment or sports. I just kind of feel like as I've gotten older, I've just developed more skills and more resources. But yeah, so I can't really say like the full transition, David, because I don't really ever view myself as out of the sports entertainment business. I just know that it was it was incredibly rewarding to me. But man, it was also like incredibly like difficult, right? And tumultuous. I mean, you guys know, I mean, you guys are two of the best in the business. Like, when you're coming up in the business, you had people that were literally like constantly like gnawing at your heels or trying to get this or trying to get that. And it's, you know, you got to keep staying true to the grind. And I just kind of needed some time away from the grind. It was really just, it was overwhelming. You know, look, the business has also changed in and of itself, right? Brand partnerships deal is where I really made my kind of, you know, reputation. That's changed. I mean, it's tougher and tougher to get to get deals, right? It's tougher and tougher to land marketing partnerships, right? Social media has played a huge role in now what happens, you know, in that business as well, right? So the business has kind of changed a little bit too. Mm -hmm. um, so range of different factors, but overall, I, I think the sports entertainment field has been nothing but incredible to me. And I love what I'm doing in the health and wellness space. So I guess I get a little bit of best of both worlds. So Siraj, before we let you go, um, Something we'd like to ask all our guests. First question is, how did you break into sports? You mentioned going to law school and starting with the Kings. How'd you get, how'd you get in there? Where'd your career get started? Where'd you start So in my early 20s, I knew I wanted to get into sports entertainment marketing after a playing career in sports uh, from Wake Forest, David, sorry to bring it up, but uh, I was captain of the tennis team. Captain you don't have to apologize team. to me. You might have to, you know, you, 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 the, the words Wake Forest tend to get an eye roll from McGee, but other than that. So, so I apologize to Tim, I apologize to Tim, but, but there's- No, there's, no apologies necessary. Fantastic school. Incredible answer. So, so truth be told, I chose a, a scholarship to Wake to go play tennis down there. And uh, it just didn't work out for me. I thought I was going to be pro and it didn't work. And then, you know, teaching wasn't my thing, right? I kind of wanted to be uh, more a quote unquote member of the country club versus be the employee. Um, so a little driven there. And so I knew I wanted to get into sports entertainment marketing in my early 20s. And then um just started doing the internship route, right? Advantage International at that time before it was Octagon and, you know, getting in their tennis, you know, kind of sweet during the U.S. Open and kind of seeing what guys like, you know, Phil DiPicata and all those guys are doing and athlete management. And then from there going to ISI, right? Spending a year and a half there and with, you know, Vuno, Frank Vuno and Fred Fried and Steve Rosner and all those guys, Emilio Collins, et cetera. And 
Whitley and Ross. I mean, you know, the gang is a huge gang. And then, you know, they got acquired by SFX, as, as you guys know, and I didn't really stay for that. I had a different opportunity. And then when that didn't work out, I kind of like took some time for me, ended up going back to law school. And that's when I really figured out, okay, what is it I really want to do? And I had three different passion points. I really liked real estate law. I liked crim law. And obviously I had a love for sports. And when I really kind of analyzed it, I felt like I could be a, a, a decent lawyer, a good lawyer, or a great salesman. And a great sponsorship salesman is what came first. And I, you know, like I killed it. I killed it when I got into Kings. I was no more revenue producer there. And like I said, do 30 deals. Most people are doing like, you know, two or three a year, you know? So just cutting your teeth, cutting your teeth and really like understanding the intricacies of the business. And then the garden was amazing. Not only are you surrounded by some of the best people, you're seeing some of the best assets get activated, you know, within, you know, the Mecca. Right. So seeing that up close and really learning it and understanding it and getting into it, like it's, I always kind of say it's a reverse pyramid, right? Sports business is really tough to get into. But once you get into it, you can kind of navigate and do as you, as you want. I ended up becoming really good and successful on the property side of the business and selling for them. Right. But there's so many roles. So I know like one of the things like you guys like to share with the, with the audience is like, what would you recommend to like the next wave looking to get in sports? And, and you know, I, I would say be open to doing other things just besides sports, right? Like if you send your resume over to someone at Madison Square Garden or Brooklyn Sports Entertainment or something, they're going to they're gonna read it and say, oh, okay, well, they were at an ad, an, an ad age or an agency for, you know, two, three years, like, okay, like they've got some value, like they've got some skills that are going to transfer into here. Right. Where I think a lot of people like, I want to get into sports. I want to get into sports. And so you take the New York market, 10 really good properties in New York. They're looking at trying to get to, well, those people already have professionals there too. Right. So they're not going to fire someone just to make room for you most likely. So get cut, cut some teeth, you know, PR marketing, like, sales, like business development, like, you know, wherever and social media, like now that's such a huge avenue and way to get in the doors with teams. Right. I think there's probably the, like, don't be afraid to like transfer in versus just starting out. I right. think that's something looking back, like that's not a bad thing to go work in a brand marketing agency for a year or two before trying to get to a team or vice versa. It's like the dream job might not come overnight, so like, keep working until, until you manifest it, until you manifest it. Until you manifest it. <laughs> no, I'm a big fan of, of getting uh, a whole variety of experiences as well. Um, and just keeping focused and connections. I will say this, your mindfulness led you to asking the second question yourself, which has not happened yet on this show. So that that's pretty impressive. No. Yeah. It shows that he's listened to us too, which <laughs> right. is uh, even more impressive. That's right. right. I like yeah. listening to you guys. You guys got a good show, man. It's well, be, well thank good. you. And and guests like you make it even better. But uh Siraj, can't thank you enough for, for taking time out. I think your your insights not only to breaking into the industry, but you know, I'm I'm not kidding here. You know, I'm gonna start tonight, you know, with that whole idea of, you know, breathing and, and ending my day with, you know, something I'm grateful for and waking good. up tomorrow and and you know, doing that breathing thing again. And um you know, hopefully that'll improve my mental health. Good. Thanks, Siraj. Appreciate it.
Namaste, fellas. Keep kicking some tails. Thanks again to our guest, Siraj Bethay. I thought he had some really great insights into mental health and this being Mental Health Awareness Month. Couldn't have been more timely. Uh, for those of you who are interested, um, it is themanifestcompany.com. Um, they've got some good stuff on their website. Uh, so this is the time of the show, David, where we ask what you're looking forward to or going to be watching or doing over the next week or coming week. So what's uh, what's on your mind? What do you got going on? I saw a story that just came out that is going to make me want to really follow closely about uh, what FIFA is going to do. And that's the story of FIFA and EA Sports having a breakup. They're splitting up. Hmm. Um, FIFA is the most successful sports video game of all time. It's an absolute. Wait, 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 what? <laughs> wait, wait. No, I'm serious. More, more successful than Madden way more successful in madden because and it's a global because title? Of it's global it's global okay. it's a global phenomenon they're not dislike us um <laughs> a, a cultural global phenomenon i think um, the term and it was before is globalosity globalosity they had they did achieve globalosity and the interesting thing is is they were as much fifa was as much the game as it was the international governing body of mm -hmm. football um, so this is what's interesting, and it's that classic licensing story. Who, who's more responsible for what? The new name of the game they've already announced. They're keeping the name. They still have the team deals. They still have the league deals. They still have the player deals. So they're planning on going EA Sports FC, which I think is a little weird. But the reason this is interesting, it is a World Cup year. Uh, FIFA has a, a, a very significant strategy. They're, they're, they call it their vision. Um, and making more money and even popularizing football even more are key components of it. This video game did that as much as anything. Um, and it was called and known as FIFA. It was just called FIFA. When people talk about playing the game, they said FIFA. So I just think it's going to be interesting to see where they go and how quickly FIFA the governing body wants to come out with some news about what their plans are. They were playing the game of we should be able to get way more money than we were. And they were looking for a huge increase from EA Sports. And now they're going to have to go and try to break it up and bring multiple players in to see if they can get the money. The question is, is you know, how many games can survive? So anyway, I, I, it was a, it's a fun story to follow and it really grabbed my attention. So I wanted to bring it up. Okay. That's something for us to keep an eye on. What about not, you? Not surprisingly, um, the seventh seeded Cornell Big Red are going to be taking on the Buckeyes, Buckeyes of Ohio State. This Sunday at uh, Shelkoff Stadium in uh, in Ithaca, New York, in the first round of the NCAA Men's Lacrosse Tournament. So I'll be following that. In fact, I may even jump in the car and, and go up there and watch it live. But well, as I mentioned, I was at a wedding this weekend, so I didn't see a lot of things as they were happening. I got back on Sunday. I knew that you were planning on watching the Ivy League tournament, and I turned on that TV and saw Penn and Yale playing and um, was like, wait a minute, where's, where's, what happened to Cornell? And it seemed like they had the seedings like all turned upside down um, in that. So I'm happy that, uh, that Cornell made the tournament and uh, I'll be pulling for him. Thank you. Yeah. And what's remarkable is that there are, you know, five Ivy league teams that have made the NCAA tournament out of seven, yeah. right? Cause Columbia doesn't have a team. And, and what makes it more amazing is that these teams had not played for nearly two years. 
right? You have to remember their season right. was shut down in 2020 and they did not have Ivy League sports in 2021. So, um, so well, kudos to all the Ivy League teams. Yeah, I, I do hope, I do hope that, um, that Cornell takes down the giant Ohio State because we don't want any of those Midwestern schools, you know, you know, getting a reputation in lacrosse, do we? No, no, we want, <laughs> we, we want North, we want schools in the Northeast. You know, that's, I always, I always laugh when they say that, that lacrosse is a, is a sport of, of uh, the elites. If you had seen the town that I grew up in <laughs> on Long Island. Well, listen, uh, when we have Mark Riccio on the show, which I think mm-hmm. we're going to have, um, uh, he can talk about the the plans for the growth of the sport uh, yeah, on a yeah. bigger on a bigger basis throughout. I mean, listen, the sport has really grown. It's just these these programs are so good uh, in the Northeast, so not not completely surprising. To all of you listening, thank you. Um, we do really appreciate when you when you download the episodes and and listen to them. Feel free to share them on Twitter, uh, Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, like us, subscribe to us um and send us feedback we'd love to hear what you guys think so until next week i'm tim mcgee i'm david paro thanks we're out thanks